Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. You're listening to New Books in Geography, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host for today, Stentor Danielson, from the Department of Geography, Geology, and the Environment at Slippery Rock University. Today, I'll be talking to Vicki Johnson-Dahl, author of Buffalo in 50 Maps, published this year by Belt Publishing. Vicki, welcome to the show. Hi, delighted to be here with you. To start off, why don't you tell our listeners a bit about your background and how you came to write this book? Sure. Um, I am a cartographer and I'm a Buffalo native. Um, like many people from Buffalo, I am an absolute windbag about how much I love the city and how, how wonderful it is, how many, um, sort of unexplored delights, uh, and challenges the, the city has. It's like, like every, uh, big urban area it contains multitudes um and there is a a rust belt centric publishing company called belt publishing um and they uh publish all kinds of fiction non-fiction poetry graphic novels all centered around um the american rust belt they had uh, buffalo and 50 maps is the third book in the series so far they've covered Cleveland in 50 Maps uh, and Detroit in 50 Maps. Both are just excellent books and I I highly recommend them if you have even the slightest passing interest in either of those cities. Um, It's looking at a city cartographically and geospatially is so different than, than any other way to really physically explore a space. Um, as for myself, I am currently based in Washington, D.C., where I'm a cartographer um, in international development. I am a grad student at the University of Wisconsin-Madison's um, uh, cartography program, and I am on the board of the North American Cartographic Information Society, or NASIS, which is, uh, as it sounds, a professional organization centered around cartography, and that's me. All right. So as you mentioned, this is the third book in a series. So how did those previous books shape your approach to mapping Buffalo? And how did you kind of make this project your own? That's a great question, um, because that was really the first thing I did after I panicked. Um, There's something really stressful about signing a book contract. Um, But the next thing to do was to look at what's out there. And um, the folks at Belt very kindly sent me copies of Cleveland and Detroit and 50 Maps. And this series has a very defined look. There's a color palette. There are, uh, we use the same typefaces and, um, you know, it's a, it's cohesive, um, but it's cohesive without being duplicative. So when an individual cartographer is looking at the data involved in these maps there's um it's impossible to avoid having 
your own bias show up in in how you make the choices and what what you show so it's it's super interesting and um really beneficial to be the third in a series and look at how evan did cleveland in 50 maps how alex did detroit in 50 maps and use their work and their uh different approaches as a way of exploring um my own approach to mapping Buffalo. And that carries over in terms of um, data choices. Um, there's a lot of, if you look through all the books have detailed sort data source information in the back. And that was a great jumping off point to find new data sources. And you know, I, I'm not recreating their books, but looking for inspiration in the kinds of um, places from which they sourced their data. And a big part of that just involves talking to people and looking into um, local experts in um, in the area, in, in certain subject matters. And some of the, the best maps, some of my favorite maps in the book came out of just talking to people and saying, what is your favorite thing about Buffalo? What is something that, that you find notable about Buffalo? And like, what, what makes Buffalo so special to you? Everyone has a different answer. And a lot of the things that people brought up were completely new to me. And I think that really influenced um, the, the richness in, in this book. And so then why maps? What what perspective do, does a book of maps give us on the city that would be different from, you know, a, a written text about the city or a, a book of photographs, for example? Another great question. Um, so there's one law in the field of geography, Tobler's law, uh, so somewhat cheekily Tobler's first law. And uh, it says that, and I'm only lightly paraphrasing here, it's very plain language. Um, everything is related. Near things are more related than far things. And um, that carries over into so many aspects of a city. Um, as you can, when you're looking at uh, spatial distribution of data and looking at where things happen and where things don't happen, um, when you're looking at um, when you're like, kind of combing through a data set and seeing what story it tells and what stories can be told with with that data. Um, doing it on a map, I think, um, it just adds something really unique that um, you can't just get from text. When you have that visual, when you have that hard data and you're looking at um, the facts on a page, um, it's it's really powerful. Um, and there are a couple of, of kind of themes that emerged in the book um, naturally just through how the data is and and what um, what the data represents. Did that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's actually a good segue uh, because, you know, rather than going through and talking about every individual map uh, and having like a three hour podcast here, um, I wanted to 
talk about some of those themes that run across multiple maps. Um, and then, you know, you can talk about how they manifested in, in particular ones. So the first one that I wanted to talk about is race. Um, so, you know, Buffalo uh, has been in the news uh, for some tragic events uh, related to racism uh, not too long ago, but, you know, people might not understand the, the broader context for those uh, events and how that fits into uh, that. So how do the maps in the book help us think about the history and the future of racial issues in Buffalo? Yeah, that's truly one of the, the major uh, themes that emerged the data um, is the divide along Main Street. And when you're looking through the book, um, there's a road that goes pretty much directly through the city. It's sort of at an angle and then it turns and goes um, northeast and that's Main Street. Um, it's also where the Buffalo's one uh, subway line, uh, we like to joke that it goes from all the way from Main Street to Main Street. <laughs> um, it, it serves as a very uh, major dividing line. Um, when you look at, at looking, excuse me, when you are looking at the race and ethnicity map, uh, and this is the first map, I think, in the book where the Main Street divide really presents itself. You can see that um, Black Buffalonians are on the east side and white and Latino Buffalonians are on uh, the west side. And there's not a lot of of overlap there. Um, there's some in, in South Buffalo, but it's, Buffalo appears to be a very segregated city. And indeed they do, uh, Buffalo does end up on lists of Buffalo, of the United States's, let me start that sentence over again. Sorry, Ender. Um, the division puts Buffalo on lists of, of America's most segregated cities. Um, and this is interesting because Buffalo had one of the first um, generally successful um, integra integrated school system programs, um, but did not really translate over into where people live. And this is a distinction that you will see time and time again through this book and the sort of it, it reaches out in, and appears in ways that you might not expect. Uh, but upon reflection, makes perfect sense. Then another interesting thing about Buffalo is that it's a, a border city. So Canada is always lurking there just across the river uh, on any of the maps, even when it's not you know, drawn on the map, you kind of know it's there. Uh, so when you were making these maps, how are you thinking about Buffalo's connections to that wider world beyond the city limits? Um, yeah, Canada it has affected how the city grew. Um, if if not for the question of Canada, this could have just as easily have been Black Rock in 50 maps. Um, what is now kind of the the uh, northwest uh, area of the city was uh, originally its own city called Black Rock. And uh, Buffalo and Black Rock were kind of sort of at odds, kind of vying for investment and um, attention, kind of who was going to be the the big city at the edge of Lake Erie. 
um, because there's, you know, a lot of, a lot of opportunities that come along with that. And um, when planners were deciding where to put the Erie Canal, uh, the western terminus of the Erie Canal, they chose Buffalo over Black Rock because Black Rock is closer to Canada. And it was the shortly after the War of 1812, we weren't totally sure how um, how the question of Canada was going to to be resolved. Um, so Buffalo won the uh, the edge or the end of the Erie Canal and not a few decades later, just absorb Black Rock entirely uh, into the city of Buffalo proper. Um, as far as the the rest of the world and, and Buffalo's general place, um, I tried to reflect that cartographically in a couple of ways. Um, the first one is looking at the size, the physical size of the city, the borders of of Buffalo, and comparing that to cities of similar population, to cities uh, also in the Rust Belt, and to the other cities in the AFC East. And this entire page in the book is just an absolutely gratuitous swipe at the New York Jets. Um, the New York Jets do not play in New York. They don't play in New York State. They play in East Rutherford, New Jersey. So the New Jersey Jets um, really kind of uh, inspired this particular map. But it's interesting to look at how Buffalo has a similar population as Madison, uh, Madison, Wisconsin. And Madison, Wisconsin is more spread out. Looking at Buffalo and, and Pittsburgh, um, they're actually pretty similar in, in size and um, reflecting on Chicago, Cleveland, and Detroit all border a lake. And you can see kind of how uh, the city has grown out from the edge of the lake. Another way to kind of place Buffalo and, and its, its people in the world was looking at sister cities, which is a concept that I just kind of like. It just, it always seems like such a nice um, thing for a, an urban area to do. And you can really see that Buffalo um, has a lot of uh, Eastern Europeans. Um, there's a big, excuse me, especially uh, Polish and Ukrainians. Um, and there's a lot of, of sister cities. There's a couple in in Ukraine and um, one in Poland as well. And uh, more so, there's sort of those connections tend to be uh, fairly well maintained. And you mentioned in that uh, that answer your uh, love of football, which definitely comes through in in the book. Uh, there's several maps. Uh, relating particularly to the Buffalo Bills. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how you went about incorporating the the sports dimension into the book and what it tells us about Buffalo? Buffalo is a big sports town. Um, we love our, our Bills, our Bisons, our Buttes, our Bandits, uh, and our Sabres. Um, there's a lot of, of very... Uh, loud and aggressive uh, sports fandom in Buffalo. Um, maybe most notably now through the Bills Mafia and um, how people like to jump through tables. 
Uh, I've personally never jumped through a table, but I'm not opposed to it. Um, it's part of, of being a Buffalonian is, I don't, I don't want to say that you have to, to enjoy sports or, or um, be active to be a Buffalonian, but like, I don't even have, when I'm flying home from DC, I don't even have to look up what my gate number is because I can just look for the people wearing Bill's gear um, because we're everywhere. And I, my work involves a fair amount of travel and I, you know, I've, I've traveled a bunch in uh, my personal life. And I mean, I have seen Bill's gear in Afghanistan. I've seen Bill's gear in New Zealand. Uh, I saw a Bill's hat in, in Moldova recently. And I'm just like, we are truly everywhere. And it's, it's, I don't think it's the kind of, of thing that we're like a Yankees hat or, um, you know, the, the sort of like very universally popular teams. Um, I'm getting off on a non-cartographic tangent here, but it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, I don't want to speak for everyone. I don't want to, uh, say that it's a universal aspect of buffalo but it's it's pervasive there's a lot of of uh and I, i'm talking mostly about the bills here and to bring it back to the book um there are a couple of bills maps um including putting together um if you had lined up josh allen's throws for the past couple seasons uh end to end if he started at the stadium, how far would he get? Um, and he, uh, as of last year, had made it to the central terminal. And as of this year, made it to, I, I looked, I did the, the data crunching, even though I had to, uh, I had to submit the book, uh, the final version in October. So I didn't have the, the full 2022 season data, but there's a really amazing bread company called Bread Hive. And he would have thrown all the way from uh, the stadium in Orchard Park to Bread Hive um, in the sort of west side area. Uh, another, I go back and forth with what are my favorite uh, maps in the book. And right now my favorite is, is Rich Stadium Haunted? Um, Rich Stadium, it's not called Rich Stadium anymore. It's now a new era field. The stadium where the Bills play. Um, and I find this is just a really interesting way that geography affects things that you wouldn't consider to be geographic. Um, and that is that the, the stadium was supposed to be built on a north-south axis, but there is a small, it's so small, like you could go to, to a game and easily miss it. There's a tiny cemetery on the land, and the descendants of the people buried, it's called Sheldon Family Cemetery, the descendants of the people um, buried there refused to allow the county to move the graves. So they had to change the plans, and the stadium is built on sort of a northwest-southeast axis in Orchard Park, which is um, just about three miles off of the eastern edge of Lake Erie. And Lake Erie is um, 
sort of a horizontal lake and, you know, lake effect snow um, happens as cold air kind of whips across this lake and uh, picks up moisture and snow. But it's it's mostly the wind and um, you can feel it. I mean, it keeps your beer cold when you're in the, the upper reaches of the stadium. It's, a, it's not a dome, it's an open air stadium. But I mean, it, it affects when you're like, throwing and kicking a football. So are the Bills cursed? Maybe, uh, but not in the way that you might think. So those, uh, those the Sheldon family buried in that cemetery exacted their revenge for what? I don't know, but um, there's a new stadium being built. So this map will be uh, useless in a few years, but I, I like it. I think it's, it tells a, a sort of curious story. Yeah, it's a good illustration of how, you know, comparing this book to the others in the series, there are going to be certain things that come up in, in every book because they're a, a story that you can tell a version of that, you know, about how it works in, in every city. But then things like that that are just totally unique to Buffalo. Yeah. Um, one other thing that is totally unique to Buffalo that... I just adore. And it's one of the things that came up again and again when talking to people was that the downtown area often smells like Cheerios and it's the greatest smell in the world. There's nothing like it. And I don't know how to describe it other than it, it just smells like nice warm Cheerios, but there is a General Mills plant in uh, the downtown or just, just south of the downtown area um, on Kelly Island. Kelly Island is not an island. It's a peninsula. But um, a lot of cereal is made there. But when they're making Cheerios, you can smell it. And um, there's, I know, various, you know, my city smells like Cheerios, T-shirts and, and things like that. But um, my cousin, Chelsea, uh, and her husband, Keith, did the data research for, uh, for me for this map. And they went out over a, a series of afternoons where... Uh, Cheerios were being made and marked where they could smell uh, Cheerios. And they they drove around all over the city, all over the area, um, and kept track of wind direction, strength, and uh, temperature, and all kinds of, of data points um, to create a map of where you can smell Cheerios. And um, it's... It's just totally, I don't want to say totally unique to Buffalo. They make Cheerios in other places, but um, it's, I've, I never hear about any other cities smelling like Cheerios. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm down here in Pittsburgh, which is in many ways a very similar Rust Belt kind of city, and I've never smelled Cheerios uh, outside in this city at all. So, and yeah, that was a, a really, a really cool and different kind of map. Um, so then one more theme that I wanted to ask about that cuts across different maps is the role of nature in shaping the city. Because even though a city is a, a very, you know, human cultural kind of thing, it also has to exist in a relationship with the non-human world around us. So how, how does nature come into some of the maps in the book? Yeah, um, absolutely. The, the biggest uh, sort of feature would, would have to be water um, with Lake Erie and the Niagara River forming basically the entire um, western border of the city. You've got the Buffalo River 
coming in in the south, um, which is where a lot of industrial development um, took place. And now, of course, Buffalo is revitalizing that area and, and trying to make use of a lot of the old industrial infrastructure. So you've got uh, like rock climbing gyms and grains, uh, grain elevators kind of uh, kinds of development, which is uh, to be completely frank, awesome. Um, but there's, um, you can see through uh, in the, the North area, there's Skajakwita Creek, um, which comes off of uh, the Niagara River. And that sort of forms kind of like an, an arc from the waterfront to um, the uh, like sort of part of the Olmstead Park system uh, with Delaware Park and Forest Lawn Cemetery. Um, there's a lot of very nice green space in in Buffalo. There's parks and uh, kind of open areas um, throughout and um, getting into things like trees. Um, there is uh, just a, a very, very uh, strong uh, street tree and uh, park tree um, foundation in Buffalo. There's some very old trees and some very new trees, um, including in the Fruit Belt neighborhood, which those streets were that's sort of, um, as far as city neighborhoods go, maybe Buffalo's most famous. And it is, uh, it was originally settled by German immigrants and they named the streets after the orchards that they were planting. And the orchards are are long gone. The streets are still named um, after these these types of trees, hence the fruit belt name for the neighborhood. And but there has been a, a recent push um, with some some artists and and community organizations to replant a lot of fruit trees in the neighborhood um just so that residents can enjoy the sort of namesake of of their neighborhood um one way and this is sort of an offshoot of of your question but um one thing that i think is really interesting in terms of of the city and the the natural world sort of colliding is um, vacant land, and this ties into to the the racial divide theme. And they, um, the east side has so much more vacant land than the west side, and that is um, due to uh, landlords and their sort of poorly maintained rental homes. Um, and this ties into the HOLC redlining, where um, Black Buffalonians could not buy their own homes. They, they had to rent. Um, and uh, there are over 15,000 parcels coded as some variety of vacant land in the tax assessment ba uh, database as, as the population declined, as, as houses um, sort of sat empty, and the reason region's harsh winters took a toll on the structures left behind. So when you look at the vacant land map, you will see that there, there's this huge area um, with tons of, of vacant land. And when I first saw this data set, I had assumed I had made an error that I was I had coded something incorrectly or um, 
something like that. And then I, I checked it against um, aerial imagery, you know, like Google Maps. Um, and yeah, there's, it's something that's, you, you might not really get the full picture until you see the, the data set writ large. Um, but it's block after block with uh, lots where there used to be homes. And um, while the West Side has seen a lot of public and private redevelopment dollars, the East Side really has not. Um, and it's it's residential properties for the most part, but there are a lot of commercial and industrial uh, properties that are vacant as well. Um, yeah. So you end up with a lot of, um, say, maybe unexpected green space, but these community organizations on the east side are uh, often planting gardens and, and making great use of this space. There's organizations uh, to build up and redevelop uh, sustainable housing and um, make the, these areas kind of available to the residents. All right. Well, so I think there's only so much we can say in an audio medium about uh, such a visual book. So hopefully this has gotten people interested in seeing the kind of things that they'll find in Buffalo and 50 Maps, as well as the other two books that are out so far in this series. Uh, so as we're moving towards the end here, I wanted to first give you an opportunity to give a shout out or a thank you to anyone whose help was important to you as you were writing the book. Yes, thank you. Um, the publishing company, uh, Belt Publishing, is just an amazing company. It's uh, they they publish such interesting and varied works, and there's um, anthologies and and creative writing and just all sorts of really wonderful books. And I'm just a I'm so proud to be a part of. Um, of what Belt Publishing is doing, and everyone that works there is just the just delightful, um, and the 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 publisher, and and Mike the uh, my editor, uh, Phoebe the the publicity person is just uh, everyone's just a delight to work with. Um, in terms of research and um, and putting the book together. There are two people that really like made the like took this book and and their contributions really helped me tie it together. Um, the first being Angela Keppel, who um, runs uh, a blog fully dedicated to Buffalo streets, and it's incredible and it's just a, such a fascinating way to um, explore the city and just talking to her. She's just the most enthusiastic person in the world. I adore her. Um, but her, her blog is buffalostreets.com and she just goes street by street um, looking into the origins of the street names. Um, just, just fascinating stuff. Um, the other person is Cynthia Van Ness, who is a research librarian, head research librarian at uh, Buffalo uh, historical society and in addition to um being available for library research um and just kind of like taking me through the the library's collection of uh, of historical maps and um really really helping me just like 
jump right into uh, Buffalo's cartographic history. Um, she maintains um, really interesting data resources just in her spare time. Um, the first map I made for this book, the one of the ones that people talk about the, to me about the most is uh, the map of J driving, which is where um, people have driven into buildings. And Cynthia has, she calls Buffalo the world capital of, of J driving. Um, and this is a data set that I couldn't have produced on my own without going back in time, basically. She's been maintaining this bonkers data set for years and years, um, just pulling from news reports and um, putting it all together into a data set. And it's it's one of those maps that's uniquely Buffalo. And um, her assistance, not only with uh, the library, but also with this kind of data that she just did, has done for fun for, for years, um, th this kind of, of research and knowledge is really what makes a book like this work. And that's just that, that incredibly niche local knowledge. So those yeah. uh, two really wonderful women have uh, been, been hugely helpful for this book. I'm glad you brought the J driving map up there because as I was asking that question and saying, all right, well, we're, we're getting towards the end here. I had in the back of my head, oh shoot, forgot to ask about the J driving map. So I'm glad that you, you got that one in there because oh yeah, my God. one of the, the most unique maps in the book and a unique backstory too, that somebody is like just on their personal time collecting this data set that you were able to use. The number of people that have come up to me since this book came out to say oh that's uh, my my friend michael said like this is where my grandma drove into a rite aid um turns out the southernmost uh red dot on the map is from where my cousin drove into a garage <laughs> um it's like i've i've heard so many stories from people that are just like hey i i know one of these dots right i know the the person who who drove into this building and I mean, it's it's someone driving into a building. It's not like, you know, necessarily something to celebrate. Mm -hmm. But I love that this map has uh, given people a way to really connect with the book. But uh, really, more so than any other map, people love telling me where people have driven into buildings. And I love hearing about it. If you're listening to this podcast and know someone who has driven into a building, let me know. I uh, I just love hearing those stories. Um, I personally do not know how to drive. Uh, if I did, I'm sure this map would have a lot more dots on it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, at the risk of having forgotten about yet another cool map to ask you about, uh, I'll move on to our traditional final question on the NBN, which is what are you working on next? Ah, okay. Next, I'm finishing grad school. I do not super recommend um, having a full-time job, being in grad school, and writing a book. It's a lot. Um, so I am, uh, I don't have any, any books or any other major projects right now um 
As I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm on the board of the North American Cartographic Information Society. Our next conference is in October in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and um, working on sort of planning and getting, getting that conference together. Um, I gotta say, I'm really enjoying just having published a book, like having that behind me. My next thing is just relaxing a little bit. Um, that's probably, that's not the most exciting answer in the world, but it is the true one. No, I think that's a, a very valid answer. And I think one that uh, a lot of people probably are thinking that, but feel embarrassed to say it because you always want to sound <laughs> like you're, you've got the next big thing right on the horizon. So I appreciate the, the honesty there. And, you know, finishing grad school is a big enough project on its own. So that's fair. That's fair. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This was uh, a real, real fun hour. And I'm I'm delighted to talk about this book with you. So thank you so much for, for inviting me to be here. All right. This has been a conversation with Vicki Johnson-Dahl, author of Buffalo and 50 Maps, published this year by Belt Publishing.